Hi, my name is Alad Gross. Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online, uncensored town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. Every episode is a recording of our live show with special guests and questions asked by audience members like you. To open season two of the Alad Pod, we are joined by Rich Finneran, the Democratic candidate for Missouri Attorney General. Although we were opponents in the primary, we're not opponents on the Alad Pod. Rich is a former federal prosecutor, and we talk about his vision for the Missouri Attorney General's office. Rich, are you there? I'm here, Alad. We did it. Great. Wonderful. Uh, welcome to the Alad Pod. This is your first time on. <laughs> it is my first time on. I'm very excited to be here. Thank yeah. you for having me. Absolutely. No, thanks for coming. Uh, very excited to have you. As, as some of you uh, uh, know, Rich and I were uh, running for the same position, uh, Missouri Attorney General. Uh, we were both uh, very excited to be doing that, uh, had our own ideas, our plans, the ways that we were running around the state and trying to get more folks involved. Um, and we had a primary that did happen, uh, and Rich came out on top at the end of the primary. So a lot of folks are like, well, okay, uh, you know, there goes the Alad pod and there goes that campaign and everything else. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of requests for folks to keep the show going and, and a lot of interest in doing that. Um, and Rich, uh, you know, I, I think both of us, we really spoke to this over the campaign for folks who watched. Uh, they really noted how clean of a campaign it was, how much we really uh, agreed on so many different things. And I think the, the really the number one thing that we do agree with is that Missouri needs a new attorney general very, very badly. Um, and so I'm really excited to have you on and be able to introduce you to a bunch of folks uh, on my side who might not have been able to hear from you before. Um, so uh, thanks for coming. Uh, you, you know, you've, you've done a whole lot. I'd like, you know, if you could, could you introduce yourself to everybody here, um, the work that you've done and why you're running for attorney general? Okay, well, I'll do that in a segment. First of all, I have to thank you uh, so much for, for having me. And I know that uh, there was some uh, even conversation on Twitter when you announced we were doing this. I think some people might have been surprised at first yeah. that you would be so readily willing <laughs> to invite uh, your former rival in the primary onto your show uh, to help us spread the word about our campaign. But I think that really is a testament uh, to your character and uh, to you as a person, as I, I said in a message that I know you sent to uh, your supporters recently, you and I have known each other for a long time. I've always had a huge amount of respect for you, and I have a, a huge amount of respect for what you did in this campaign. Um, but as I also said, you know, we talked before I even got in the race, and we agreed that, that you know, this wasn't really about you or about me. This is about the people who are watching us today, uh, the people in Missouri who have so many problems that we, from our positions, uh, hopefully in, in government, will be able to tackle. And uh, I'm so grateful that you've uh, decided to continue to be a part of that process. And I hope that we will that we will see a lot, a lot more from you, uh, both these next three months and many years thereafter, because um, I, as you know, have a huge amount of admiration for you and, and what you did in your campaign. So Appreciate it. Thank I just want to begin by saying that. But I know there are a lot of you who uh, who uh, probably have not heard from me directly before. You probably knew that I was running. Um, but I'm very happy, as a lot uh, said, to introduce myself to you. Uh, my name is Rich Finneran. I'm a former federal prosecutor, just like a lot from uh, St. Louis. And I spent uh, seven years at the U.S. Attorney's Office in St. Louis, where I prosecuted uh, large, mostly large-scale white-collar and corporate fraud cases, including the two largest criminal fraud cases in the history of our state. Uh, in, in those cases and the many others that I handled during my time as a federal prosecutor, I recovered millions of dollars for the people of our state and fought for the victimized and marginalized throughout our state. Uh, after doing that for seven years, I decided that I would take uh, what I learned in that position and I would try to bring it uh, into a broader context. And so I worked very closely on a campaign that my friend uh, Court Van Ostrin ran in 2016, and that inspired me to think about getting involved in this race myself. Um, and so people asked me, you know, a lot had already been in the race for some time by the time I got in. Uh, you know, why would you run against a lot, uh, your friend? And I always tell people, well, I never felt I was running against a lot. I was running alongside him. Uh, we do share so many of the same values. 
And what I what I think is most important is that we get Eric Schmidt, our current attorney general, out of office. Because really, no matter what issues are important to you in this state, it's pretty it's pretty much definite that Eric Schmidt is not working to further your interests and support you and your family. Instead, he's working to try to further his own political ambition and the politics of the Republican Party in our state. And the clearest example of that, which we've been talking about since we started our campaign, is his crusade against the Affordable Care Act. Uh, he's been uh, waging this battle now for years, taking it now all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, where if he prevails, people in Missouri and across the country would lose guaranteed coverage for pre-existing conditions. And as, as Lon and I have talked about last week, we all voted to, to expand Medicaid by a significant margin. That would also fall if Eric Schmidt prevails in this lawsuit. And so it's really, really important that we, uh, we fight back against him. We have to be united to do it. Alad and I always viewed uh, our, our, our role in this campaign. We would each go and try to energize as many voters as we could, build our names and our messages as strong as we could. And now I'm just excited to bring our, our respective uh, bases of support together. I think we're definitely stronger together than we would have been individually. And if Alad had prevailed in the primary, I'd be uh, doing the exact same thing here, trying to help him build the support that he would need. And I'm uh, really gratified that we're able to talk today and uh, work on unifying our party to, to go and try and really take the attorney general's office in November. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an extremely important office. And for those of you who have watched before, you know, uh, we talk a lot about the details and, you know, folks are very interested in the policy behind everything. Um, it's, it's, it's the office has so much involvement in so many areas. And you just talking about health care quite a bit. And we just expanded Medicaid in the state of Missouri, uh, which was a very big policy uh, issue. Unfortunately, our legislature wouldn't do it, uh, but we did it. We the people did instead. Uh, there, there are some issues there that I do want to address um, because, you know, this has come up with folks uh, now, uh, especially since we've had some state senators indicate that they, uh, well, they're still appropriating funds and they can decide whether Medicaid really does get implemented in Missouri or not. Right. Um, one of the things that we see some states do, because in our constitutional amendment that we passed to expand Medicaid, it requires that that health care be expanded so that folks who uh, you know, are, are usually in, in a more vulnerable financial area, and that's a ton of people, especially in rural Missouri, um, really are going to be able to access affordable care now for, for the first time in a, in a very long time, but the first time right. you know, under, under Medicaid for, for sure in Missouri. Uh, but you know, with, in some states we see work requirements that folks try to put in, um, you know, certain testing or screening or anything else there. And the attorney general does have, can play a very important role in those kinds of issues on the civil rights side. Um, is, that, is that something that you would be interested in doing as attorney general? Is that a position that you would take? Uh, I mean, uh, to, uh, just make sure you're clear. Yeah, the, the yeah. thing that I would do is make sure that the will of the voters is enforced. In other words, that we are enforcing uh, the Medicaid expansion that we all voted for. If, uh, if our legislature tries to put obstacles in the way of people getting the health care that we all voted for, then I think that we, uh, that I as attorney general would have to take a hard look at whether that was consistent with federal law, consistent with what is an amendment now to Missouri's constitution. Uh, so this is not something the legislature can simply override through it through its own bill. Um, we have to make sure the voters' will is enforced and that the law is enforced, and that means protecting access to Medicaid for everybody who's entitled to it, not just people who you know might have uh, recently lost work or anything along those lines. That's not what the program is for. The program is there to help people who are in that, that gap between the previous expansion of Medicaid and the ability to get private insurance to make sure that they are able to get the health care that they and their families need. So I'm, I'm fully supportive of what the voters voted for on Tuesday, and I fully intend to use the uh, power of the attorney general's office to enforce their will, no matter what our legislature may try to do to undermine it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, no, that's important, and I mean, obviously I agree with that position in a lot of different ways. Uh, we did have a question that came on, um, and hold that, but I can get it up on the screen too, because I know this came in earlier and she couldn't be here the whole time, but Sydney Mayfield wants to know, um, uh, your thoughts on a civil rights division at the attorney general's office. I know that's something that Sydney's been very passionate about, um, saying that we actually talked about, um, while I was running and something that, you know, I talked about a, a significant amount too. Um, it, it, 
what I guess what is your vision for civil rights enforcement at the attorney general's office under your leadership? Well, first of all, you know, you, you're right, lot. That was your idea, something that you uh, pushed forward very aggressively in your campaign. And I think it's a good idea. And I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, against stealing ideas from people who, uh, who have great ones. And you Take them, man. That's good. Take them, so, please. Goodness. <laughs> as many right, as you so, want. So this, <laughs> right. So and, and I, it's not just in the terms of civil rights division. I know that you propose uh, in, an incredibly detailed set of plans mm-hmm. for your vision for the attorney general's office. My team is working through all those plans right now to try to figure out what can we do um, along the same lines that you suggested to try to implement some of your great ideas. And uh, again, I I have no pride in authorship or ego in this. If there's a good idea that you or any of the people watching today have, I want to hear it. I want to bring it into our conversation because I think the more voices we have in the process, Mm -hmm. uh, the better we can be. So I definitely have always agreed with you. I I didn't want to, you know, just take the exact same proposal you had made, but always agreed agreed with you that we have to increase civil rights enforcement um, in our attorney general's office. Uh, You know, one of the things that people don't appreciate about the importance of that office is that since the attorney general gets to make staffing decisions about whether something is going to get resources or not, different attorney generals can vastly affect the way that laws are enforced in this state. And civil rights is an area where, you're right, there's never been a dedicated division in the office, Mm -hmm. but the lawyers who used to work on those matters have had their time and energy rededicated to some of these political causes and other uh, misuses of the AG's office. So whether it's the form of a new division or just reallocation of resources, I'm committed to making sure the attorney general's office is enforcing our civil rights laws, and that includes laws that protect workers, it includes laws that protect rights to privacy. All of these laws are so critically important, but our attorney general right now is more interested in running to the Supreme Court to try to take our rights away than trying to protect them. So um, that's one of your many great ideas. I, I will not claim credit for it, but I hope you won't be mad if I ultimately steal it. Uh, once we get into the office and see if there's an opportunity to make that a central part of our agenda. Okay, I'm going to say this is my official statement on the matter. Take them all. Take all the plants. I <laughs> We spent a lot of time on them, so no, please. I mean, goodness. Uh, no, that's the idea, and I think, I think you know, I've talked about this a whole lot, and we've reiterated it a few times already, but this really can't be about a person getting elected to office, right? It has to be about an idea, this this whole idea of us being involved in our government, our government being responsive to us and serving us. And uh, the problem that we're having right now is that there are a lot of folks who have used this office in particular um, to really jump to something else, to move to something else, to take advantage of that situation, make it very political. Um, and it, it just, it's really sad because this is, such an important office that a lot of folks don't know as much about. And, uh, you know, it's really a job that uh, we've both undertaken to make sure that folks understand the importance of an attorney general. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's why we do these things today. So it's a, it's a great opportunity. That's a great yeah. question. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Sydney. All right, we've got a question from Laura. I'll put this on the screen, too. Oh, it's working on the screen today. Laura says, uh, as Moms Demand Action Volunteer involved in elections and legislation, I'd love to hear Rich's plans for fighting the gun violence epidemic in Missouri. Thank you. Um, so thoughts about that? Well, um, again, an issue that you and I know, I know we've, you know, we, we, we've done a lot of these things with Democratic clubs and we yeah. often have the same, uh, you know, message on a lot of these things. But uh, this is something you and I have talked about before with, with voters. Um, it's very uh, uh, important that we focus on gun violence, not as just a problem of criminal enforcement, but as a problem of public health, and that we think about how we are going to approach that issue in a thoughtful kind of way. And, you know, I I believe in the Second Amendment. I teach constitutional law. It is part of our Constitution that people have a right to own a firearm for self-protection, for hunting, and I'm not looking to try to take away those rights. But I don't think that means that we have to have guns in places that guns don't belong. We don't need to have guns in churches and parks and on our streets, places where they will cause a risk of harm to people um, when it's not related to those Second Amendment rights of self-protection 
or hunting. And so uh, you, you, the questioner said that she's with Moms Demand Action. I basically agree with almost all the positions that Moms Demand has taken. They are a really leading force on this issue. And, you know, I support the things that not just Moms Demand, but a majority of gun owners support, things like closing gun show lo uh, loopholes, uh, universal background checks, the sort of things that have been shown to actually reduce gun violence and the risk that guns can pose to people while still respecting the rights that we all have as Americans to own and possess firearms legally. And so we have to be able to have both those things at the same time. We can't view it as a problem of, well, if we eliminate the guns, we'll eliminate violence. Or if we have all the guns, then, mm -hmm. you know, uh, with that, that will solve our problems. We have to be thoughtful and intelligent about this. So as the attorney general, my job will be to enforce the laws that we have on the books, but make sure that we do have the resources dedicated to preventing gun violence in our cities and in our towns. And I'm very committed to, to uh, allocating the uh, resources of the offices appropriately uh, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's all over, you know, I, I actually, for, for those of you who uh, are in the Twitterverse, uh, there was a little bit of an argument today between me and the uh, head of the executive director of the Missouri Republican Party, uh, because this isn't just an issue that's happening in urban Missouri. I mean, that's obviously, there's a concentration there because there's a lot of people there, but we have seen violence rising all throughout rural Missouri, too. And this has been happening under current statewide leadership. Um, it's why I've been you know, a very big advocate for, um, and Nicole Galloway has spoken about this, too, but these different intervention programs that have really been proven in different states to work. Um, and for those of you who have been watching before, you know, we brought on some guests from across the country to really talk about this issue in Missouri. But, yeah, we're in a, we're in a pretty bad uh, situation right now in our state, and it would be very nice to have uh, leadership in in our state, in our state government that understands that isn't just trying to keep us divided by blaming this on the cities and saying, oh, everybody else is fine, but actually appreciates those problems that are happening all across the state right now. Well, and the other thing to say there is that, you know, I think that what our current leadership has done has demonstrated that they have taken a failed strategy mm -hmm. to these kinds of issues. You know, the, the basic, you, you see the crime bill that's being debated last week and this next yeah. week in the legislature, and they seem to think that just throwing more juveniles into adult prisons is somehow going to solve the problem of gun violence in our cities. And, you know, I know from my career as a federal prosecutor, you know from all the work that you've done as both an assistant attorney general and as a public defender, a special public defender, that those answers are not a complete answer to the problem. We have to be thinking about these issues holistically if we're going to ever find solutions. So, yeah. again, another issue where I know you and I have a see eye to eye on quite a bit. But uh, but it's definitely something we need to have new leadership and new ideas around. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially with the issue with minors, um, you know, I, and, and there's been some discussion. I mean, we saw it with the Senate vote and everything else, um, you know, there's there right now in Missouri, um, you are able to certify certain minors as adults for prosecution in the most egregious crimes like murder, all these other situations. Missouri used to have an extremely strong, believe it or not, juvenile justice system. They actually did a lot of work rehabilitating folks, and folks were using the Missouri model in different places. There used, that used mm -hmm. to be a thing. Like People used to come here and say, oh, Missouri, you're doing a great job at this. Um, that unfortunately is, is a long time behind us now, and we've really stopped investing in so many of our public institutions, and you know, we get to the position we are right now today. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, some of these things um, are, are actually just modifications on crimes uh, that they're trying to certify uh, uh, kids for now. Um, so, I mean, you, you might not even be doing a very serious crime, you know, relative to what's going on there, but uh, and still get certified under some of these, um, these, these requests that the governor has. And it just wild, like how in the world are we finding all of this money for prisons? We don't have money for education. We don't have money for for healthcare, all these other things. But yeah, to build prisons, uh, we'll find half a billion dollars right. for that real quick. Yeah. Well, and I, I know we've got many other questions, so I don't want to steal much more time. But, yeah. but this this is a real, it's, to me, the juvenile bill sort of illustrates the wrongness of this thinking. Because mm. when people are juveniles, when they have their first interaction with the criminal justice system, yeah. that's the opportunity that we have to try to turn their path around and get them into a situation where instead of sending them to prison, which often leads to recidivism and repeat crimes, right. and thus makes us less safe, 
We can try those early interventions that have been shown through diversion and other kinds of programs to reduce the likelihood that person reoffends, which again, isn't just to benefit that person, it's to benefit our broader communities. That's what will make us more safe, not just throwing more and more people in jail as though that's going to solve the problem. So I know, we, again, we see eye to eye on so many of these issues, and I know many other people have asked questions, but this is one that I'm definitely yeah. very passionate about. Yeah, and it's okay. And we can go into depth on some of these. And what's nice is if you are sending questions, like, you know, what's nice is we can both go back and respond to those later on, too. Um, so keep keep throwing them in. There's a lot in here. This is probably the most we've gotten at this early of a stage of the podcast so far. Uh, so go ahead, keep throwing them in there, and you know you know we'll respond to them too. So we'll we'll get back to you if we can't get them on the show. But uh, yeah, this is uh, a very important issue. I, I worked a lot on um, the. Uh, it's now called the Keep Kids in Class task force, I think. Um, I'm sorry, guys, if I'm getting that wrong. But it used to be uh, the school-to-prison pipeline task force, and it was with a bunch of different groups, the ACLU, legal services. And uh, um, Sarah Unsicker, who's a state representative, was instrumental in, in a lot of the fight around here. She was a member of it, too. Uh, but to, to actually raise the age of juvenile jurisdiction so that uh, we were including more teenagers in the juvenile system instead of less. And that was the movement we were going towards until, you know, this election year thing hit. And uh, some people wanted to get some sound bites real quick on cable TV. And it's just it's sad to see that, you know, that kind of progress reversed instead of seeing actual leadership on these issues. And, you know, uh, I certainly feel a way about that. So. Um, all right, we got a, a longer question. Audrey, I wish I could put you, you're going to take over the entire page if I put this on there, but, um, she's got, she's got some important questions here. Um, and so she's in Washington, Missouri, um, issues that she's been seeing specifically are sex trafficking, opioid addiction, and puppy mills. Um, she's confident on, on you on puppy mills. She, she's heard you talk about a bit. Um, and I guess, you know, for, for everybody else out here, that's an opportunity too, but, uh, she'd like to know your plans on, uh, all three of those things. So sex trafficking, opioid addiction, and puppy mills from the attorney general's office. Well, well, these are just, I think, three great examples of things that are traditional core areas of enforcement for our state's chief law enforcement officer that have largely been neglected by the current administration. And it's what I said before, it's because he's more interested in running off and pursuing these political um, causes of his in the courts. You know, the Republicans actually uh, affect um, policy changes. But that's exactly what the Republicans are doing now. And it's distracting them from some of these important issues. I mean, puppy mills is just one of those. This is an area where there is direct statutes on point that uh, we passed democratically years ago to enforce um, uh, restrictions on the, uh, on the use of puppy mills. And yet we still see a continual um, failure of enforcement on the part of our attorney general. Same thing when it comes to sex trafficking. That was a core area where my old office, the U.S. Attorney's Office, was focused on collaborating with uh, the Attorney General's Office and local law enforcement to try to snuff out sex trafficking in our state, something which I will commit to do and continue to do as Attorney General. And the opioid epidemic is something where there is a real, real crisis that is still going on. I think sometimes people forget because it's not uh, copying up in the headlines as much. This is still a major problem in our state. Mm -hmm. And one thing that Eric Schmidt uh, deserves a little bit of credit for is he has uh, joined 48 other attorney generals, so not exactly a controversial move on his part, but to try to hold the pharmaceutical companies accountable for their role in promoting that epidemic. That's definitely something that I will uh, continue to do and pursue aggressively as attorney general. Um, but but we need to have more focus on these kinds of areas, these core law enforcement responsibilities, and less focus on political battles over health care or suing China or any of these other causes that he's uh, he's sort of uh, adopted over the course of his time as attorney general. So um, there, th these are all areas where we have laws on the books, and it's a matter of having an attorney general who has the will to enforce them right. and who is not going to be distracted by political um, uh, opportunism. Right. And, and what is nice, there's a couple of, of developments. So with Medicaid expansion, that is going to expand opportunities for substance abuse treatment. If you look Absolutely. in our prison system, um, I just got a text, uh, a question about the prison system. So it might be a good segue. We'll see how I end up talking because you all know I could talk for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, 
in our prison system, 90 plus percent of people who are there report an issue with substance abuse. I mean, just dealing with that issue in itself. I mean, having spoken to a lot of law enforcement officers in Jefferson County and some other rural areas of the state, one of the, the most the biggest volume of calls oftentimes is coming from substance abuse issues. And they aren't, I mean, they aren't equipped to deal with it because we don't treat it as a public health issue. We're treating it as a justice issue. And that's really causing a whole lot of these problems. Um, well, and that, oh, go I, don't, I don't want to interrupt, but that, that theme is a, is a theme that I think, uh, one thing I'm, I, I want to make sure we're doing this campaign is I think I can use my background as a prosecutor to talk effectively of the state, including who, you know, maybe make sure they understand the importance of what you just said a lot, because too often we sort of assume that if something is a crime, that the only answers to that problem can be inside the justice system. Mm. But I will tell you from my career as a prosecutor that you can charge as many people as you want and put as many people in jail at the end of the day as you want. But every criminal case is a tragedy. It's a tragedy for the victims. Mm -hmm. It's a tragedy for the defendant, the defendant's family. And we should start thinking more holistically, not just inside the justice system, but the justice system is a part of our overall system. And start asking the question, not how do we yeah. punish crime, but how do we prevent crime? And once we start asking that question and taking that broader lens, we come up with different solutions, broader solutions, and ones that have been shown to be more effective solutions in states that are ahead of Missouri on these issues. So uh, that's, I mean, I know we just talked about it in this one narrow context, but this is a broad theme that I, I intend to make a very strong part of our general election campaign. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, totally agree. Um, and on, on the opioid issue, too, uh, you're exactly right, because our current attorney general is involved in that lawsuit. But that means that, you know, upon winning, you will be, too. Um, and so that's going to you're going to have a lot of control over, you know, the settlement terms and all that other stuff. Um, and so that's very important to have somebody in there who understands these issues and has a perspective that uh, you as a voter agree with. So uh, hopefully you're agreeing and you're voting. So <laughs> that's the idea. But. Um, we did, so I, I will go to the question here because um, it's one that comes up a lot, um, but I got it through text, so I, I want to make sure I get it out there right. Um, position on private for-profit prisons. Uh, so in Missouri, we don't have for-profit prisons. Uh, we don't, I mean, yet. Uh, they're not private. They're all publicly owned. There are um, uh, services that are provided in there that are for-profit. So phone calls, now emails you're charged for. Uh, canteen services, those kinds of things. Um, but uh, I guess in general, in case this does come up, because I guess at some point in states, you know, when they were public and then moved to private, there was a movement to do that. Uh, do you have a position on private prisons? I, I don't see any uh, need for us to explore private prisons in Missouri. Yeah, I think the experience of other states has shown that you wind up not with having better run, more efficiently run prisons, but prisons that produce more prison litigation because yeah. the prisons are not being run correctly. And that's and that's also a perhaps lesser known but important role of the attorney general is that you handle uh, prison litigation. And as a result of that, you do have some authority and power over ensuring that the prisons are being run properly mm -hmm. and that prisoners' civil mm -hmm. rights are being protected. Just because somebody uh, has been convicted of a crime, that doesn't mean they can be mistreated or abused while they're in prison. Uh, when I was in private practice at the beginning of my career, I handled a case where uh, we were able to obtain a judgment against two prison guards who had improperly treated a prisoner. And it's important to have an attorney general who's not just going to, re to reflexively defend every single action that a prison guard ever takes, but instead is going to look at those cases on a case-by-case -case basis. And when you identify a problem in a case that you have handled um, as the attorney general representing the state, then you should be working with the prisons to try to improve their practices to avoid these kinds of constitutional violations in the future, which, yes, saves taxpayer dollars because it's fewer dollars the state has to pay out in settlements and judgments when uh, prison officials act inappropriately. But it's also just part of having a constitutional system of criminal law enforcement. And so um, that's, that's the kind of mentality we need from our chief law enforcement officer. I fear that if we do enact prisons, uh, private prisons in Missouri, then I'm going to have more of those cases on my hands to handle, not fewer. And therefore, I don't, I don't see the evidence to support the idea that we either save money at the end of the day by doing that or have a better prison system. So I'm not a supporter of private prisons, and uh, I would need to see some pretty compelling evidence before my position on that 
uh, would be changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and there's, so having, <laughs> having worked at the attorney general's office, there is a lot of involvement there and it would be very nice, uh, for all of us, all of us watching who pay taxes in Missouri, it'd be really great to have an attorney general who is a bit proactive, uh, on those issues with the Department of Corrections. And I'm going to tell you what, the, the folks who work at the Department of Corrections, I know some of you are watching right now, uh, you know that too. And there's, there's a significant need for reform in that system. And the Attorney General has a very special perspective in that, um, especially when it comes to legal liability, which ends up coming out of our pockets. So, um, yeah, you're totally right. Um, I agree. Uh, Policy uh, and position on reproductive rights um, and abortion. Uh, so how, I guess, how do you see the attorney general being involved in those issues in Missouri? Well, first of all, let me say I'm unabashedly a pro-choice candidate. I support women's rights to make their own health care decisions, their own decision whether to continue or terminate a pregnancy. I uh, received, as a law did, the endorsement of uh, Planned Parenthood and uh, the Reproductive Freedom uh, friend of reproductive freedom <laughs> distinction from NARAL. Um, so uh, I'm in line with most of the positions you'd expect. But again, I think that from my perspective as a fe former federal prosecutor, I can talk about this issue in a way that even pro-life voters can understand and appreciate, which is that at the end of the day, what we're really asking when we're talking about abortion rights in the United States is who should make that decision? Should it be a decision for a woman and her doctor or should be a, woman, a decision for a state prosecutor to make, because that's what it would mean if this draconian eight-week abortion bill that the Republicans have passed that makes no exception for rape and no exception for incest were in force. It would mean that state prosecutors would be left with the decision whether or not to interfere in a woman's own health care decisions and potentially prosecute a doctor who was involved in those decisions. Now, no matter what you think, ultimately, in terms of your religious faith or other beliefs, in terms of the sanctity of human life, I don't, I don't think we need to even argue about those issues. The question we're trying to answer in all these cases is who should decide that question? And I personally believe that I should, be, I should trust a woman and her doctor to make responsible medical decisions for themselves and not put that decision in the hands of a state prosecutor and let him be the one exercising the discretion over those questions. Mm -hmm. So that's how I approach the issue. That's how I talk about the issue. And I think that's a perspective that I hope will translate across um, the political spectrum as we move towards November. One thing to remember is that this is a state where there is a great diversity of opinion on this issue. If you poll it, sometimes you'll have a 50% pro-life, 50% pro-choice, and it will sort of flip between the two. But when you get to the sort of bill that is currently being defended by our attorney general, a, an abortion bill that makes it a crime to terminate a pregnancy only eight weeks into a pregnancy before many women even know that they are pregnant, and that makes no exception for rape or and no exception for incest, that is actually a very unpopular law in the state of Missouri. And I'm not sure that everybody in our state fully appreciates how extreme the law is that our mm -hmm. attorney general is defending. And I want to make sure that that's a message we deliver during this campaign so that people know that they uh, they have a choice of someone in the attorney general's office who's going to stand with women and not try to have state prosecutors overriding their judgments about their own medical decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was so extreme that uh, a Republican representative in the state house, knowing that there was going to be retaliation against them for saying this, right. voted against it. And that same evening, uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States of America, said that it was a bad law. Um, that's that's where we are uh, in Missouri yep. right now. Um, and, you know, thankfully, it's not in effect right now, but it is in, in the court system. Um, but, yeah, it's a serious problem. And and, you know, I mean, it gets to the point where we're, ta we're really talking about how much how big should government be in those decisions and should government be intervening in our own private decisions? And when you start to reduce, you know, any of these kinds of privacy rights that we have under the Constitution, that means that all these other ones that we, we appreciate, that whether you support this issue or not, uh, we're eroding all of those at the same time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm a, a very big believer in the right to privacy and the right to tell the government to go to hell in these kinds of situations. So uh, my view uh, this is this is an interesting question. Um, I don't know if I've ever gotten this one, so let's All right. let's try it out. All right, so this let's one. Is try. A, yeah, this is from Everett. Uh, how should the attorney general deal with the dams on the Missouri River? 
The Army Corps of Engineers has not adequately addressed the ongoing issues at Fort Peck Dam, Montana, Yeah, which if not fixed could endanger the entire Missouri River Valley and anything downstream of St. Louis on the Mississippi. Uh, it's a great question. It comes up quite a bit with, uh, you know, the different dams and the levees. And, you know, when we start building them, instead of thinking about the long-term effects of where we're putting them, we, we kind of look at it as like our own community and what's going to happen to us if we don't put that thing up. So we do it. And then downstream, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, obviously, that's an issue there, too. And it's one, you know, the attorney general used to have a division that dealt with conservation issues, and uh, we had uh, an attorney general named Josh Hawley who got rid of that one, and it has not been brought back under the current attorney general. Um, so I guess, do you, have, do you have any thoughts about uh, the Army Corps of Engineers and, and uh, river levees and dam placements? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you a lot. This is not a question that I've gotten yeah. so far. So I'm going to make sure you said it was Everett who asked it. I'm going to make sure that I uh, get his information and try and get some more information about this. But, yeah, I mean, th this is an area, uh, as you said, where um, the damage or preserve the wonderful bounty of natural resources that we have in the state of Missouri. It's something that our current attorney general really has completely uh, abdicated responsibility over. Um, Josh Hawley started it, but he has uh, much, very much carried on in his footsteps. And so this will be one of the many issues I'm sure that we will find has been left unaddressed by our current attorney general and will have to focus on. When you're talking with things happening in other states that affect us downstream, that is exactly the kind of role the attorney general has to have. If you don't have an attorney general who's willing to stand up for the rights of the people of Missouri in those kinds of situations, then we're going to literally face the consequences when they come downstream to us. So I will, uh, I will look up Everett's question when we're done and learn more about this topic, because I'm sure it'll be one of the many areas we will find was neglected by our current attorney general uh, once we're in office in January. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's a uh, uh, candidate who's running for attorney general right now, uh, Mr. Graybill, and uh, I, I don't want to mispronounce his first name, having one that's interesting myself, but it's, uh, I think it's Rafe, maybe it's Raph, I don't, I don't want to say it wrong, but um, he's, uh, he's been very active in the environmental space um, because, I mean, it, Montana is a gorgeous state. I love Missouri. Missouri is beautiful, too. But, you know, some of these pictures from Montana are absolutely crazy. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's a very big issue, and they, they have dealt with environmental issues for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I think he is certainly on the right side of that. That's actually how he kind of came to fame and running and what he's doing right now in terms of protecting public lands from, uh, destruction and all these other things. So, um, hopefully we get both of you in and then, you know, both of you can work on those issues together. Maybe we'll, we'll take care of Montana that way. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's an important issue. I mean, the attorney general does have, I mean, that's, you're our lawyer, um, and so, I mean, you represent the state in those kinds of issues, and this is exactly right, Everett. This is right in that wheelhouse, um, and those issues are very particular depending on where they're coming from. But the Missouri River is one that's uh, certainly been a, a big issue for a long time in our history. So um, it does, you know, that actually, it's interesting. That's a great, because we've had a lot of questions on this topic too. But in Montana, uh, there, and if you haven't seen the film yet, it's called Dark Money. But it's very worthwhile watching, and they actually focus on one of these big environmental disasters that led to, because there was so much money coming into government, folks were being bought for corporate interests. They, Montana has been on the cutting edge since the early 20th century in terms of trying to get rid of big corporate influence in politics, making sure that the political system is more responsive, all these ethics reforms. And Montana uh, fought very hard to ban dark money, which consists of these anonymous campaign contributions that come into our elections that are designed, we don't even know where they're coming from, but they're designed to, to sell our states to the highest bidder. Missouri has had a very big issue with that. I've talked a lot about that and can talk forever about that. We don't have forever right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, know, I know in Montana they have passed uh, an End Dark Money Act on their own. I proposed one here in Missouri that unfortunately does not have bipartisan support like it does over there. Um, we've gotten a lot of questions about this. What is your view on dark money and ethics reform coming from the attorney general's office? Well, first of all, a lot. I, I want to applaud you because you you really have been the leading voice in our state. 
on this issue. And, uh, you know, everybody who's watching this, I know, knows that already. Uh, but you were shining a light on a really, really substantial problem that I think, it, you know, when you started your campaign two years ago, I'm not sure most people knew what dark money meant. Yeah. Now I think it's something that's in the public consciousness, and you deserve a great deal of credit for that. Um, but, you know, we talked about this before, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, you, as you know, but our viewers don't, you came over two days after the election and we sat down and hung out for three hours and caught up since we hadn't really gotten to talk for the preceding <laughs> nine months. And we spent some time talking about this very issue because it's one that I'm very concerned about as well. I know you're very thoughtful about it. I know we shared some ideas and, uh, and different th- thoughts about how to attack it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, you have to start uh, with a commitment like I have made, and I know you made during your campaign, that you're not going to, as I am not going to, take any dark money. We're not, we haven't taken any corporate PAC money for our campaign. We are uh, running this race in a transparent way where voters of the state of Missouri know where the money funding our campaign is coming from. And it's mostly coming from small individual donors um, like the people who are watching us today. Um, but that said, uh, that's only one piece of the puzzle, right? The reason dark money is bad is, yes, there's corporate influence. But the second thing is that means that the people who get elected do something because of who donates. Hi, friends. It's Alad, your host. You know I don't break into episodes all that often, but unfortunately we lost Rich right at this moment for just a brief few seconds, but they were important ones. You know how hard I've been fighting dark money? And Rich really talked about how a big problem with dark money is that folks who are in political power are then doing favors for those who are giving them money. But we don't know who those people are. He mentioned a policy that I helped uncover from the attorney general's office that was supposed to put an end to pay-for-play type of schemes. Unfortunately, I also uncovered that that policy isn't being enforced at all. When we got Rich back, he was talking about that policy and what he would do as attorney general. So I pledged not just to enforce that policy, but to expand that policy so that uh, I hate to break it to you. But if you're somebody on this uh, this uh, video today who has made a donation to my campaign, I won't be the one making a decision if your case comes before the attorney general's office, because I think that's the kind of corruption that we have to get out of all levels of our government if we want to be successful. So we have to make sure it starts at home with the attorney general enforcing his own conflicts of interest policies. And then we also have to make sure that we're enforcing those laws across our political spectrum. When we see that kind of corruption and that kind of influence of dark money, we have to call it out and we have to attack it. Um, And so I'm committed to doing that a lot, just as you were. Um, I know that it's a major issue that you have brought to the forefront, but I am excited to carry forward um, your efforts in that area and work together with you once I'm elected to help to ferret out some of the corruption in our government and get back to having a government that's going to put people ahead of politics and people ahead of the money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who have been following along, um, I do still have a case that's pending right now um, where I beat our current attorney general in court um, who is representing our governor trying to hide uh, public records. And those were involved in the dark money investigation. Uh, the Sunshine Law is one that also has been a question here, too, but it's, it's one that uh, it's, it's our public records law in Missouri that allows the public to access public records. That's the way it's supposed to work ever since right. President uh, Richard Nixon. You might have heard of him. But since then, a lot of states started passing uh, laws in, in Missouri. Ours was the Sunshine Law in order to prevent something like that from happening again where the public couldn't access these records. Currently, uh, our attorney general's perspective and his view, and it's in court, so you can see it if you want to. You don't have to believe me. Uh, but his view is that the public should be forced to pay money to attorneys that we're already paying for uh, in order to access our own records. I wonder, uh, maybe from a selfish perspective as well, what is your view on that and on Sunshine Law enforcement? <laughs> well, okay, well, I don't want to promise you anything a lot, I know, I know but, but let me say this. So yeah. first of all, uh, enforcing the Sunshine Law is the attorney general's job, not defending departments who are attempting to not enforce the Sunshine Law. So when there are requests made for public records, it's, it's written out in the statute, as a general rule, the, the public has a right to access those records. Um, and so when those issues come before my office, we're going to enforce the law, not just reflexively defend the decision that a department made to try to withhold records from the public. 
The other thing that I've committed to doing is making sure that we are going to have transparency in the attorney general's office on public records requests. We're at a time now where it should be easy for folks, easier than ever, to access public records. And we have the technology to do it, even if we don't have the technology to stream very well sometimes. But we have the technology to, to make sure that everybody can access these records at uh, uh, really no cost other than just getting online and, and checking for them. And it's, it's unfortunate that we haven't gotten to that point here in 2020. Um, but here we are. So, um, yeah, we uh, uh, did have a question. It was about – and I'm sorry because I, I lost some of the comments here, but I'm going to go back and look for it. Uh, but – there were a number of anti-LGBTQIA plus uh, bills that were proposed in the legislature. Um, in general, your view on what the role of the attorney general is on uh, protecting uh, all Missourians uh, and all of our civil rights, uh, and specifically uh, members of the LGBTQIA plus community. So this is a uh, issue that Missouri is frankly way behind where both the people of Missouri and the country in general have moved to free from discrimination in employment, in housing, in all the different areas where we see those issues still being a part uh, too often of the lives of our uh, gay and lesbian brothers and sisters and transgender brothers and sisters across the state and across the country. So the attorney general's job is to protect their rights and enforce the laws that we have on the books. Um, we need more protections for those individuals in the state of Missouri, but we also need to make sure that those are preserved as a matter of federal law. You may have seen that recently the Supreme Court decided that Title VII, the civil rights law that protects us all from discrimination on the basis of race and sex, also protects people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. That was a decision that was a six to three, yeah, six to three decision in the Supreme Court that both Justice Roberts joined and Justice Gorsuch wrote the opinion on. A Trump appointee wrote the opinion in that case. And yet our Attorney General, Eric Schmidt, opposed that decision, claiming that he was trying to push his argument on some sort of textualist or originalist ground. Well, it's hard to find somebody who's a more committed textualist than Justice Gorsuch. <laughs> and he decided that people who are uh, who, who do have a different gender identity or sexual orientation are protected from discrimination in employment. And so we need an attorney general who's going to be forward thinking on these issues, who's going to understand that we need to protect all those uh, individuals in our state from any kind of unlawful or illicit discrimination. And we need to have somebody who will defend it when Nicole Galloway is elected governor and after Clean Missouri lets us do some redistricting to kill gerrymandering in our state and we actually move forward on some of these issues, who will defend those gains in the courtroom. And I'm uh, unequivocally committed to doing exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's important. And I think you're totally right. We've got, we've got state decisions that support this. I mean, it, it's not hard right now to follow the law. If you don't want to for some reason, that might be it. Uh, and uh, I know uh, the current attorney general has been putting out some statements around this saying, that, oh, well, he always supported everybody and their civil rights and everything else. Right. Uh, he didn't. I mean, he did not do that in court. He did not have to file this brief. It was entirely a voluntary thing for him to do. Yep. And when he was in the state legislature and this came up, uh, our current governor supported uh, the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act at the time. And for somehow, Eric Schmidt was there for the vote before and the vote after, but couldn't find time to vote in support or against uh, Mona at the time, too. And yep. just it's it's infuriating because uh, the last thing that we need, uh, you know, it, give us your position and don't lie to us. Um, at least we can make some informed decisions about whether to keep you or not. But well, and, and unfortunately, that's a pattern, as you yeah. know a lot, with our attorney general, where he puts out statements saying that he supports coverage for pre-existing conditions right. while, as you say, voluntarily filing a brief in a case that he was not and did not to be involved in asking for that protection to be taken away. He says that he supports uh, these laws that would protect people on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, while at the same time spending our tax dollars to file a brief in a case that would take those very protections away. Yeah. So it's hypocrisy at the highest level of our government, and it's not honest, and we have to be able to call him out on that and many other issues like that in this general election. It's it's really shameful, and uh, and yeah, I agree with you. If, if, if you have a position, Defend it. Don't just sit there and try to talk out of both sides of your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. I 100% agree. Um, 
Okay, we've got a few more. I'm going to do try to get three more question areas in if we can do it. Okay. Uh, all right. I'll try to shorten my answer. No, it's okay. I mean, we got we can go a little bit over. It's all right, especially since yeah, the stream right. did break in the middle. We owe you a couple more minutes here, people. So, um, okay, this one uh, this one came from Joplin. I think it's it's a, it's a really interesting one. Uh, what ways would you, as Attorney General, change the reporting system uh, to keep a better real time report? of the driving while black statistics in Missouri. So uh, as, as some of you know, I mean, I've talked about this before, and it's, it's something that comes from the attorney general's office. Every year, the attorney general releases a vehicle stops report. And for the last 20 years, since this report was published every year, it has shown that black people in Missouri are more likely to be pulled over uh, while driving than white people, uh, more likely to be uh, arrested and less likely to have contraband on them. And year after year, it's extreme. I mean, we're at 90 plus percent now more likely to be pulled over if you are black and driving in Missouri than if you're white. Um, and we see, you know, along all kinds of racial lines and ethnicities that this is a, a significant issue in Missouri. Um, so one of the, I guess the reporting system right now, the way it works is the law enforcement agencies each year have to send a report to the attorney general. The attorney general then puts out his report, uh, and then, uh, uh, says, well, I'm going to ask for more and different kinds of data. And that's how I'm going to solve this problem. I wonder as attorney general, how would Rich Finneran solve this problem? <laughs> well, I mean, this is a real problem. And as you say a lot, we have a, a report that comes out each year that reminds us every year, like clockwork, that it is a problem that we are not addressing and that we are not solving. And it's uh, a travesty. It's a violation of the civil rights of people in our state, their constitutional rights, as well as their uh, statutory civil rights. And it's something that we have to start taking seriously. We can't just put out a report each year saying that we have a problem and not do anything about it. And it really is shameful um, the way that our, our current attorney general puts out this report, barely does a press release, doesn't do a press conference, doesn't try to draw attention to it, and then doesn't take any action to address it. So the question asked about reporting, that's part of it. We have to make sure that we are getting, as you said, the right kind of data in so we understand where the problems lie and what is causing these problems. But then we have to start finding the solutions to those problems. We cannot just, again, continue to say we have a problem and not address the problem. And so that is a matter of working with local law enforcement, where we do see coming in the data certain kinds of problems. In some cases, those issues can be solved or at least improved with training, with better practices. And having come from the federal government, where uh, we have a very advanced system of criminal administration, I hope to bring some of the lessons that I've learned and the expertise that I have from my time as a federal prosecutor to help law enforcement and local jurisdictions solve those problems. But in cases where those local law enforcement agencies are not willing or not able to solve the problems, then that may require more aggressive intervention from the attorney general, because it's our job in the attorney general's office to enforce the laws of the state and to enforce the constitutional rights of our citizens. So um, it, it's not just about getting more data. We do need more data. More of that data needs to be public. There needs to be more public accountability around where the problems lie. But once we have that data, we have to have someone in the office who's not just going to try and scuttle that report under the rug at the end, you know, Friday afternoon at the end of a news cycle to try to keep it from making headlines. You'll see me doing a press conference each year talking about these problems and proposing the solutions and how we would fix them. So if we don't admit the problem, we can't solve it. But we have to also start thinking about the solutions for it. Yep. Yep. Um, it's important. And I mean, that's kind of one of the drivers that I had behind uh, the civil rights division proposal, because I think I think part of you know what we need in a functioning all of these systems all interconnect, right? And so what we really need in a functioning justice system that folks are buying into, that folks are willing to participate and make sure we do have justice is one that is accountable. And when we get statistics like this every year from the attorney general, who is the chief law enforcement officer in the state, who is supposed to be that coordinating mechanism statewide, and then nothing happens. Um, I mean, it's just another example of why we should be losing trust rather than gaining it uh, within the system that's extremely broken right now. Um, and so that's no, it's really good to hear. Um, all right, let me. We've got two other question areas. Uh, consumer protection. So consumer protection is one of the bigger focus areas for the attorney general's office that, uh, you know, involves price gouging. It involves, um, I mean, antitrust law, too, which is if you've got too much concentration like we do 
have quite a bit uh, right now in America, but especially in agriculture in Missouri right now, uh, companies like Amazon that are just like huge, huge, and, and they just eliminate competition. That's what they're designed to do. Um, and then we've also got situations like scammers who call our phones all the time. None of you lovely people who text me because I love when I get them from you, but uh, there are lots of other people I don't love getting them from. Uh, so what um, I guess what are your thoughts about what the attorney general can do better in that area to, to protect consumers in Missouri? Well, I mean, how many minutes do we have? Uh, this, this, is, this is an area that is very important to me. I mean, not only is it, it, it should be one of these core areas the attorney general is really focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, because of his focus on political issues, there's not that same kind of concentration. But during my time as a federal prosecutor, this was a major area of focus for me, both the sort of consumer fraud that you're talking about a lot with the scammer. Um, you know, the, the largest case that I prosecuted was a $435 million corporate consumer fraud case, a insurance company that was selling insurance policies to people to pay for their final expenses, but was actually stealing that money and using it for improper purposes. And we went after that company. We recovered millions of dollars for people across the state of Missouri and across the country in that prosecution. And I think that we have to be very aggressive as uh, as the attorney general's office enforcing consumer protection laws, because often in the kind of case you're talking about a lot, you know, it might be we might be getting ripped off five dollars a pop at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be in the interest of any individual to sue AT&T over those five dollars. But if the, that's one, one reason we have an attorney general is somebody who can represent all the people of the state, go after that kind of uh, improper conduct and get a settlement which benefits the people of the state of Missouri, both the consumers that were directly affected and the taxpayers whose, whose uh, recovery then go to fund the attorney general's office and other offices across the state of Missouri. You also mentioned antitrust. That's an area that I practiced in before I became a federal prosecutor. We do have to make sure that we're not letting big business and just business in general take away from the reason that we uh, have antitrust laws in the first place, which as you said a lot, is to promote competition. Competition promotes lower prices. That helps us as consumers. When you have companies that are able to capture dominant market power and abuse that market power, it hurts the people in the state of Missouri. So I'll be looking for opportunities to work with other attorney generals across the country and with what I hope will be a functioning U.S. Department of Justice (laughs) um, to actually enforce our antitrust laws so that we make sure that consumers are not getting ripped off either by the scammer or by uh, dominant market players that are using their dominant position to uh, push up prices beyond a competitive level. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm very passionate about it. It's frankly, it's not something I, I, I get, I think I wish I got asked about it more often because it really is a really core role for the attorney general's office and one which should be a central focus mm-hmm. and one which is too often forgotten when you have politicians running the office, as opposed to people like myself who've actually gone after these things in the past and know how devastating they can be for families who, uh, who suffer as a result. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh yep agreed. It's 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 so important, and the folks who are hurt the most by it are the most vulnerable, um, oftentimes. And uh, yeah, we really need some strong enforcement there. I agree. Um, okay, so last area of question, I've I've distilled it down, and it's the easiest <laughs> one to deal with. Uh, voting oh. rights. <laughs> right. Uh, so a lot of questions about the ballots, about the mail, about what's happening. Um, and I'll share a resource, too, that we have uh, for folks. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, votemissouri.org. Um, I'll type that in, you know, at some point while we're talking, too. But votemissouri.org will help you go ahead and apply for an absentee or mail-in ballot early. You'll want to do it early. Uh, please do it early, uh, and those will start processing six weeks. Once they get your request, six weeks before the election date is when they'll start processing those and then send you um, within, it's within three days they have to send you something. So, yeah, um, yeah what um, I guess, you know, from uh, there are some attorneys general right now throughout the country who are talking about this issue and, and you know, looking into it, investigating and seeing what they want to do. Um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts as you're seeing all, all of this happen right now in real, in real time with an election that you are going to be involved in as a, as a, as a candidate? <laughs> 
Well, and and my my own self-interest in having a fair election aside, I am incredibly uh, offended by what I've seen from uh, the national administration, President Trump's administration, about voting rights. And I know that our our friend Yinka, who's running for Secretary of State, Mm -hmm. is laser-focused on this issue and is calling our current Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, to account every day for his failures to protect the voting rights of the people of this state. But look, this is the fundamental thing. You know, we all get together. We have elections. People vote, and that's the side who runs. That, that's what, and that's what decides who runs our state. Yeah. If we don't have a fair process for doing that, we're not living in a democracy anymore. And I, I don't think that there should be any restriction on somebody's ability and right to vote. If that means they have to be able to vote by mail during this pandemic, they should be able to cast their ballot by mail. If that means that they need to be getting it uh, done absentee. That should be possible. I think that we shouldn't be requiring notaries for every single person in order to cast a ballot if they don't fit into these narrow categories. And I'm just concerned about making sure that we have an election with integrity in the fall. Once we get through that, if we can actually do that, then we have a bill called Clean Missouri that we all voted for by a supermajority uh, in 2018 that actually is going to help help to solve some of the other problems we have in our, our voting system when it comes to gerrymandering. Right now, you know, we all cast votes for state reps and state senators and for U.S. reps as well. In a lot of those cases, we, we cast those votes. And I know we feel very passionate about them, but they've drawn the lines so that our votes often aren't going to actually matter or count for anything. Clean Missouri promises to solve that. But I know that I know that if we don't win this election, our attorney general is not going to be on the side of voters and trying to protect their rights. He's going to be in favor of the entrenched politicians who benefit on both sides of the aisle yeah. from these lines that have been drawn to make it so that as soon as the primary is over, the election's effectively over. And that's not what I think democracy should be. I, as attorney general, will make sure that when there are those lines in the polling places, everybody is, is able to get their vote in and every vote is counted. Um, and I think that we have to be have an attorney general who's aggressive about doing that, even if it means getting in the face of the secretary of state, regardless of which mm-hmm. party he's from, although I'm confident if, it, if it's Yinka, <laughs> we won't have a lot of problems right. uh, in this area. But uh, we have to defend that because that is the core thing. If we can't vote, if we can't change who leads us be, through our votes, then we don't have a, ch- a chance to solve any of these other problems that you and I have been talking about today and throughout this campaign. So um, this is a core issue. I encourage you all to be vigilant about this issue. A lot of what you have done by starting uh, VoteMissouri.org is a really important step. It's a way to conveniently get that information out to voters so they know. Request the mail-in ballots early. Send them in early. Make sure that they have been processed. You have you have the means to do all those things. Don't let anyone steal your right to vote from you. And if we can get through this election, then we'll be able to start making sure that those rights are enforced going forward once the right people are there right. to actually protect Right. Yeah. And uh, for I know there were some nonprofit groups that were a little bit worried about sharing Vote Missouri because it had the uh, paid for by at the bottom with the campaign. Uh, Well, that doesn't exist anymore. So it's gone. You can share it. Uh, Have a good time with it. Uh, But, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of folks have used it all throughout Missouri. It's supposed to be an easy system. Um, and I'm adding more, we're adding more to it so that, you know, there's FAQs and free, you know, frequently asked questions for those of you who, uh, uh, have them because there are quite a few in this area and it tries to distill what the law is and when you can deliver, when you can bring it in. Um, so all that, a lot of it's already on the website, more is coming, but that's very important. Well, uh, we, uh, have given you all a bonus six minutes, so I do want to give Rich, I want to give you the opportunity uh, any closing thoughts that you have for folks? Um, you know, I know, I know it's an interesting time right now in America and a very interesting time in Missouri. Um, and as having been a candidate uh, for, for a while, I know it's an interesting time for you personally, too. Uh, but is there anything that you'd like to leave us all with uh, here on your first, first and maybe not last episode on the Pod? Well, I, first of all, I hope it's not my last episode, <laughs> but I, I just want to, to take a moment really to uh, really, again, Elijah, just thank you and talk about uh, you because uh, <laughs> what we're doing right now is something that you're supposed to do right after yeah. a primary. You're supposed to mend the fences and that sort of thing. But I think we, you and I are actually, I think, more unique on this, I think, than a lot of candidates mm-hmm. would be because we really do believe in the same things. I really, We really have known each other for a long time. 
I have an immense amount of respect for your integrity, and I, I know you do for mine as well. And I, I hope that your supporters, so I know that's our primary audience right now, uh, will appreciate that even though uh, I prevailed in the primary, that doesn't mean that the fight is over. I'm fighting for basically the same things that you were fighting for for the almost two years that you were on the campaign trail. And I, I view it now as my responsibility to carry forward the work that you have done and to bring that change that we need to the attorney general's office so that we can make sure that we don't have the sort of political corruption that has taken over what should be a neutral law enforcement organization in our state. And, uh, you know, it, it speaks enormously to your character that, uh, that you know, you, I know you don't have ego in this process, uh, just like I don't. It's really about doing what's right for the people of our state. Uh, but it still takes a, a big man to do what you've done today, which is to uh, so fully endorse um, our campaign and uh, commit to helping us finish the work that you started. And I just want to thank you again for giving me the opportunity to speak to your supporters. I hope we'll have the chance to do it again uh, before the general election and thereafter. Um, you know, and, and I know that you know there may be an opportunity where you will have to be holding me accountable <laughs> after the general election if I'm in my job and I'm not doing it. <laughs> Uh, you bring me back on here and we will talk it out because uh, I'm not going to do it the way that our current attorney general is doing it. I want to have transparency. And uh, and if I'm doing something you don't agree with, I actually probably have screwed up. So yeah. we need to talk. About, yeah, so. you might have. Yeah, I'm usually pretty reasonable. My sunshine requests, you know, I publish them on Instagram. Everybody can see them. They're usually pretty reasonable. Um, no, this is great. So I will say this. Uh, that's a commitment. Everybody heard it. So if he screws up, he's coming back on the show. After the election, yep. uh, unfortunately, our current secretary of state, despite being invited, uh, chose not to come. And I wasn't even going to be mean. I was just going to ask him, you know, whatever questions came out. But, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I try I try not to be. You know, I try to try to make it a friendly thing. But I think this is really like this is a really important way uh, to get more folks involved in government. I mean, we had a lot of questions that people asked. Um, there's more and we'll get to them. But, you know, I, I think it's just. We don't see this very often in our government anymore, despite the pretty – I mean this is not that hard to set up and do. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really great to see that you're coming on, that a lot of other folks have been willing to come on the show and, and really explain you know, all of these kinds of policy things that oftentimes we just don't even know about, we don't even think about. Um, and I think it's important to get that word out there. Um, and yeah, I do, I do think – this is probably the first time in Missouri history that two primary opponents have been live streaming together <laughs> shortly after oh, the election. Wow. I think that's, it might be. <laughs> well, if, if, that, if that's true, um, I hope this is a precedent that others yeah. will, will follow in the future because, uh, you know, we, you, you and I both uh, realize, I know, that for us to see the kind of change that we need in Missouri, we need mm -hmm. all hands on deck in this election yeah. and for elections for years to come. Yeah. Uh, we've got, you know, a coordinated campaign that's starting for all the statewide candidates and down ballot candidates as well. And we have to, you know, wh wh whether you're watching right now and I've uh, persuaded you that you should help me in the ways you helped a lot or not, I hope that you will help out a candidate who is mm -hmm. running for office somewhere this cycle, whether it's your local candidate, state rep, state senator, whether it's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's campaign for the presidency, whether it's one of the other statewide candidates. We need your help. We, we can't do this alone. Uh, a lot and I both both learned that as yep. much as we uh, led out uh, everything we could these last many months. Yep. Uh, what uh, your help is what keeps us going. So I hope that if it's not my campaign, I hope it is my campaign. <laughs> but if it's not my campaign, uh, that you will help out one of the other candidates because I really do think if we succeed like we hope to this uh, this election, it's going to be because we all worked together and came together to get this done. So a lot. I just want to thank you again for the opportunity. I always enjoy talking to you. It's been weird not getting to have conversations like this during the campaign. Yeah. I'm, I'm basically relieved it's over so that we can uh, be in more constant contact and, uh, and, and work together to try to bring this thing across the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for those of you watching, uh, I have put up uh, Rich's website. It's richfinnerin.com. Um, so that's a way that you can learn more about the campaign and get involved over there. Uh, and if you do have questions about other candidates, who's running in your area, whatever it is, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to connect you. There's wonderful folks all over Missouri who could use your help. Um, and if you are in a district that maybe your election's already been decided through primary and there's, you know, nobody's running or whatever it might be, um, let us know, too, because there's a lot of folks to get involved. And Rich is running for the entire state of Missouri, so uh, he's going to represent you So uh, if you're here. And uh, yeah. we'd love to have you. So, Thanks for joining us on the Alad Pod. 
You can participate in future town halls and see all of our past ones at aladgross.live. You can reach me there too, and I'd love to hear your ideas. For now, this is Alad Gross, and I'll see you on the next Alad Podcast.